The Future is Inclusive is produced on Ngunnawal country and we pay our respects to elders past, present and future, especially those who identify as having a disability. We're artists who experience barriers to access because it's not about me, it's about society and changing those institutions and people and attitudes. This is The Future is Inclusive, and that was the voice of Penny Pollard from the Belconnen Arts Centre's Ignite program, which supports artists on their professional journey. I'm Kara Matthews, and I can tell you from experience that inclusion of people with disabilities in the arts is pretty hit and miss. In this episode, I want to look at reasonable adjustments we can make for both artists and people who consume art, because art should be available to everyone. Co-hosting with me today is my good friend, Ruth O'Brien. Can you tell me a bit about yourself and your professional practice? I've been singing and writing songs for about 15 years now. I guess I, I'm still developing that practice. I don't think it'll ever get to a stage where I feel like this is truly expressing exactly what I want, which I kind of like. I've kind of made peace with the not ever feeling finished thing. (laughs) But I'm also interested in creating opportunities for other artists and I really like doing that kind of stuff. And can you tell me a little bit more about your experience with access in the arts? My disability mainly affects my arms. Um, I have a condition called TAR syndrome, which stands for thrombocytopenia with absent radii syndrome. (laughs) Wow, okay. Um, It's a bit of a mouthful, but basically that means I have a very low platelet count So I've got very thin blood and um, also I'm missing the radius bones in both my arms and my arms are quite short and not very strong. So I guess I didn't really notice the barriers that I did face in my personal practice until I finished studying music, which was in the middle of 2013. And the main thing with, with performing is setting up that I find the biggest barrier, physical barrier. So there's a lot of kind of awkward and heavy equipment that you often have to organise before you can perform live. Because I I think as I'm getting older, I'm becoming more aware of the pressures that I put on my body as well and what is ergonomically not okay. (laughs) Generally in the arts culture, how do you think accessibility is viewed or dealt with? I think like a lot of aspects of our society. Access is often an afterthought. It's not actually put into how we create art and how we create spaces and thinking about audiences' requirements to experience that in a way that's equal for everybody. It's often, is that person going to be able to experience this? But that's happening after the thing is created. So people just aren't aren't thinking about it. And I think that in itself is one of the biggest barriers because every other aspect of access can be changed, really, once you get past the attitudinal stuff and making it a priority and building it into what you do. All the other stuff is pretty logical. You know, you can find solutions. If there's a ramp required, if there's hearing loops required, that can be all be learned, but it's about thinking about the people that might want to experience that artwork and how that's going to happen. 
In my experience, it actually becomes a lot easier when you think of it as a forethought. Yeah. You know, um, it becomes a lot easier to to figure out what to do. You Mm. know, um, one of the things we do is put, uh, ask for accessibility requirements in RSVPs. One of the things that I have noticed, and I'm interested to see how this meshes with your experience, Mm. often when people think about accessibility in the arts, it's very much focused on audiences. Mm -hmm. It's always, can they come and see this show? Can they get into the gallery? Whereas a lot of my interest is, I'm like, well, can they get on the stage? Mm. Can they perform? Mm. You know? Yeah, I think there's less expectation for people with disabilities to be the people running something. I think there is a a definite bias there around people with disabilities being a passive part of our society rather than active contributors. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, and does this piece of art require the voice? Could it use the voice of a person with a disability? Expectation. You mentioned the word expectation there, which I think is really interesting because I think that there is this idea that there is this expectation that... First of all, disability is only wheelchairs. Mm. And then you've got this expectation, you know, in a theatre show, for example, that you have to sit very quietly and how people interact with art can be very different. Mm. Um, That's one of the things that we maybe need to challenge Mm. when we are thinking about accessibility in art. Yeah, I think there are lower expectations if you add the word disability into a person's description and that comes down to just ignorance and lack of understanding around what disability actually means. And that's in every aspect of our society. It's probably easier to have a disability in the arts sometimes, I think, for me, compared to being in other industries. I think for me, being an artist seemed like the only career choice in the end because of how I could express myself and be understood as a human being. There's not a lot of rules around art. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. can kind of create your own rules. And I think that freedom is really important for any human being. But for me, it's because I did experience a lot of, I think mainly I, I experienced unconscious bias. It wasn't ever really active discrimination. It was more a passive kind of assumption about what I could and couldn't do. That perhaps is the experience of a lot of people with probably with physical disabilities Mm. because their disabilities are often seen and then people make an assumption about what what you can achieve. It's interesting because I have the opposite issue, I suppose, in that the process needs to change for me. So I suppose being an actor, there is actually quite generally quite a rigid process. You go in, you get the script, you have rehearsals, the director tells you what to do, it changes within that, you know, you may not have a script, whatever it is, but there's usually a process around it. And sometimes that process needs to change for me. Mm. And that's an interesting thing to navigate. But me and my experience, when you're working with creative people, they already are open to thinking creatively. Mm, exactly. Which yeah. is really interesting. Yeah. Now, I'm curious because you and I are both performance artists. Mm. We've been speaking to Penny Pollard from Belconnen Art Centre and the, the Ignite program, and I'm really interested in how this all relates to the visual arts space. A lot to do with being an artist is who you know, 
the timing and knowing what's available and that networking and I know people one with hearing loss or people that aren't comfortable in big gatherings or with lots of noise miss out on all those little information gathering opportunities and so I think it's also for me too I realise having creating access and teaching, let me use that word, other venues or other businesses how to be inclusive or how to break down those barriers. So we as an individual artist don't always have to be the one to give those teaching moments because it's exhausting. And also I suppose as artists with disabilities, we don't necessarily have, artists generally don't have huge incomes, let alone people with disabilities, are quite low socioeconomically. To have that collaboration, to work with Glassworks or Megalo, those beautiful ability, those materials, opens up new parts of your material practice, doesn't it? That I couldn't possibly be a glass artist when you can learn that and put that into your practice. It's really important, I think. With hearing loss or other disabilities, it can become quite exhausting. Exhausting having to just go about your daily business or having to constantly sort of make access available to you. And so I think it's vital to teach as many people as possible and institutions that we're, we're so different and we're so diverse and we're not, even though I don't like to say that we're different, and I feel that we need to embrace a disability arts history and that pride, but we also have to realise it doesn't have to come from the individual, it has to come from society. Talking about society needs to change, not us as an individual. So I even feel I want to change the name from disability, artists with disability or mental health concerns to where artists who experience barriers to access because it's not about me it's about society and changing those institutions and people and attitudes so it's really interesting stuff there mm. um, i'm especially curious about this idea that the teaching moments are not always our responsibility mm. right? and they shouldn't be or well, they mm. are but mm. they shouldn't be mm. i wonder you know if part of being an ally is that we we make time to also teach others, mm. you know, that we make time to go, right, well, we've learnt this thing, we had this experience, someone taught me, they mm. shouldn't have to teach the next person, mm. so how about we do it? Mm. You know, Penny had an interesting idea where she said that, you, you know, you have to make access available to you. I think just generally more conversations around access will improve that because I think there are sometimes very specific access requirements that do require a person to give some information but I totally empathize with the idea of the teaching moments thing because it shouldn't just come down to the person who experiences the access barrier because there are so many requirements that can be met if we've got a different attitude around access generally. Mm. I hate to use the word phrase common barriers, but there are many barriers that can be changed that will have a great impact on a lot of people in a good way. Mm. Hearing loops and captioning, quiet spaces, sensory spaces, talk around inclusion and access generally about that being okay um, and not being put on the end of a website or a, you know, very bottom of the page. There's a thing that we need to change in the way that we're talking about disability. 
but it always seems like an end note. I'm not sure how to do that. I'm not saying that I've got an answer, but I think that part of inclusion means we have to integrate how we're talking about access. It's really interesting because I think a lot of what we've been talking about is access once you've got the opportunity. I think another thing, and certainly something that Ignite really tries to focus on, is is the barriers that people with disabilities face in actually getting that opportunity. Mm, exactly. Right? So they yeah. provide a lot of experience. They work with a lot of venues mm. um, to kind of help put that experience on a CV. What are some other things do you think that we could do uh, in all of our spaces as artists, as as art makers, as art administrators? How else can we make opportunities easier for people with disabilities to access? Oh, well, I guess some specific things could be around communication about what to expect when you go to a venue and what access is already inbuilt into that experience. It's really interesting because I actually just provided some advice to an organisation about accessibility. And one of the things that I'd told them to do was put right up on their website, kind of at the top, we welcome people with disabilities to our classes. Please talk to us about your accessibility needs. Um, and someone called them up and said, I wasn't going to enrol my son in your program because I wasn't sure. And then when I saw that, I knew that you cared about inclusion and you cared about disability. And so mm. I enrolled them. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes makes... just having that invitation there, you almost have to make accessibility and inclusion explicit. I think it's actually mm. a good thing to have that. And I actually spoke at a departmental event recently about inclusion and access. One of the speakers there was representing the LGBTQI plus pillar, as they called it. He was saying that if he sees the rainbow flag in any building or in a cab or someone's wearing a badge, then he immediately feels comfortable in talking about his life in an open and honest way. And maybe we need the same thing for disability. Maybe there needs to be a universal symbol that's not a wheelchair, <laughs> that's <laughs> a, a ability fluid <laughs> um, symbol that people can go, okay, these people are open to access and talking about access. I think that is an excellent idea. You know, and something that that may also allow us to do is, is as allies, we can advocate for inclusion mm. of a diverse a range of artists to share the space, make sure people are on the bill. Yeah. You know, it, you know, it's becoming more and more common for people to demand gender balance and inclusion for people uh, of colour, where it, I think we can extend that mm. to people with disabilities. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the more we have these conversations around access, the more confident and comfortable you get talking about access. Like two years ago, mm. I wasn't as comfortable talking about things as I am now. Mm. And it just comes with practice. So I think, you know, as an ally, just talking about access needs with your friends and bringing it up in conversation because I think so many people who don't have to experience disability on a daily basis don't think about it. They don't have to because it doesn't personally affect them. But the minute it does, and it will, because everybody knows somebody who has experienced a mental health issue, ageing parents, children with disabilities, there's a whole spectrum of people that we interact with mm then we'll be better equipped to navigate those situations in a way that is just natural, you know. Mm. It's not like this weird, awkward experience. Suddenly we've got to talk about disability and, oh, yuck. Like it's, it's just, oh, yeah. So what do we do now?
And in terms of what do we do now, I'm going to wrap up with a list. I think we've come up with a lot of tools today, so I'm going to condense them down into a nice little handy list for our listeners. First of all, making access a forethought, uh, including accessibility requirements in your RSVPs is a way to do that. Thinking about both audiences and artists, taking on the teaching moments as something you can then teach to others. Keeping the communication and the information open and being explicit in your idea of of inclusion, uh, especially if you are someone who provides opportunities. And starting with the easy things, so starting with hearing loops, starting with closed captionings, starting with conversations Mm. about what people need. Uh, And finally, keep talking about access. Mm. Mm. Keep talking about it. push for people with disabilities to be on the bill, push for people with disabilities to be on the set um, and practice. Mm, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So thank you so very much, Ruth, That's for coming okay. in. This was a really, really awesome conversation and we should definitely do it again. Absolutely, yes. I think there's so much more to talk about. If you like what you're hearing here, if you're finding it useful, please, please tell other people about this podcast rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform talk about us on social media if you want to get in touch with us if you have questions if you have stories email us at the future is inclusive podcast at gmail.com i will say it again because that is a mouthful the future is inclusive podcast at gmail.com this podcast is funded by the act office for disability thank you very much this week to ruth o'brien and penny pollard from the belconnen arts center and our producer kim lester 